0: Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host Matt Kennedy. Pod Sequentialism is recorded at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and is brought to you by Gallery 30 South, which is gallery30south.com. Uh, you can follow my gallery at uh, all the social medias at, at gallery30south and also by the Wacko Soap Plant Superstore, uh, which houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery, which um, I just left after almost a decade of being there, but it's still an awesome place and I still wanted to give it a shout out. And uh, encourage that you follow the Panic Collective, that is Panic with a K Collective, and uh, check out the kind of guerrilla uh, street art protest type of stuff that they're working on. Also, want to give a shout out to my boys in Indecline, and I want to also mention um, the Adnohia line of of jewelry, which uh, we've had Adnohia on the show. Full disclosure, she is my wife, so this is a bit of nepotism. But uh, check out her stuff. You'll love it. She's also on Etsy. And today we're going to talk to one of my, my great old-time friends and someone that I, I got to spend a very little bit of time with uh, in Thailand just very recently. I'm, I'm I'm basically freshly back from Thailand, as is he. And it's my friend Scott Whitman. Welcome to the show, Scott.
1: Oh, thank you so much, man. It's awesome to be here.
0: Yeah, it was great to be able to spend a little bit of time. I wish we had been able to spend the, the full time, I think, that uh, <laughs> that might have prevented me from being kidnapped by Russian Russians while I was there, um, which maybe we'll talk about and maybe we won't. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um, what brought me, I should say, to visit you uh, in, in Thailand is the fact that you've been for quite a while now um, checking out various places around the globe And kind of highlighting places of monumental spirituality, um, places where they're, which are very far off the beaten track, that have a reputation for um, having um, people having mystical experiences and um, kind of having a reconnection with with whatever their particular dogma may be. And um, I guess we should talk, when did you start doing this?
1: So this started about two years ago, and uh, one of the things that fascinates me about the great Matt Kennedy, and, <laughs> in contrast to, in contrast to what got me started in this whole thing, you know, Matt has never really had the problem, as far as I know, of being stuck in his life. Like he has an idea of something to do, he has an idea of something he wants to pursue, and he just does it. You know, and I think it comes so naturally to you and to people that you may know, at least some of your friends that I know, mm-hmm. that you don't even realize that some people always feel stuck in their life. Right. And and me feeling stuck in my life was the impetus for seeking out mystics and healers in Los Angeles, which then ended up being extrapolated to the entire world. Right. It started about, it started about two years ago.
0: Right. Although you had also very much been involved in looking into that type of thing in LA going back decades practically too
1: yes that's true i believe the first book (laughs) i ever read was linda goodman's sun signs (laughs) um so uh that tells you that tells you something about my personality and my upbringing right there i've been interested in mysticism and astrology which may or may not fall into that category exactly uh ever since i can i I was
2: able to walk
0: right and now when um when you first started Reading up on these types of things, and I, I'm very similar. And of course, um, you know, I was born in Salem, Massachusetts and known uh, yeah. for yeah. for some mystical experiences of its own. But mm. uh, I think being so close to that environment and, and having a fascination with um, the supernatural and, and paranormal stuff that it, it very much informed who I was. But it also helped that my birthday is two weeks exactly before Halloween. So that (laughs) as I start to look forward to birthday parties, people are already starting to put up, you know, decorations of skeletons and (laughs) pumpkins and things. And I think that there might have been some Pavlovian effect in that it it caused me to be more excited about those things, which I think also Mm. maybe fostered an interest in horror films for a very long time. But um, you grew up a little bit further down the coast in uh, on the East Coast. And was it McLean, Virginia?
1: It was Arlington, Virginia, but they're pretty much the same thing. Yeah,
0: right, right. And now, and that environment is is obviously very different than the Northeast, but not so much. Um, still on the ocean, still a very old mm-hmm. part of of the country, and still have great access to amazing libraries.
1: Absolutely, and there's you know weird historical mystical stuff in DC, as I'm sure you well yes, know. Yes, and Freem- Freemason history here is rampant an example of that being i guess you could point to the washington monument yep which you know the group of people that constructed that was mostly freemasons and um, and is also the world's tallest obelisk side note
0: right <laughs> right right and and the world's tallest concrete building that's right yes and it took uh, i believe what 40 or 60 years to build or something once they started it. it was known as the washington embarrassment because it was it had gone unbuilt for so long Uh, until it was finally completed but um, the the thing about I guess growing up in that environment is that I I would suppose that there's a lot of people that are in Washington if you go to school around DC that you'll have um, friends that if they're like the children of diplomats or they're the children of of people in politics that they are likely to be traveling in and out of your life a lot too and I wonder um, was that the case when you were younger did you have um, a lot of friends that were kind of like uprooted a lot?
1: That's an interesting observation. You know, that that didn't happen to me when I was younger because I wasn't in that kind of neighborhood in Arlington, Virginia. Mm -hmm. I I don't think that particular neighborhood had those types of people. Now, when my mom got remarried when I was 12, Mm -hmm. uh, my dad eventually ended up working at the Department of Homeland Security, where he works currently. And now I know a lot of people in that type of situation. But growing up, no, it was pretty solid. Everybody kind of stayed the same.
0: That's cool. The um the reason I asked of course is that you know you developed a kind of form of of wanderlust that um that became very addictive. I mean even before you you started this particular journey, you had been somebody who really did enjoy travel and would um it seemed like you'd work long enough to save up money to be able to just like (laughs) leave and then because you're in entertainment out here that um you could pick up a a gig pretty much anytime you wanted working in post-production is is for a very long time and for people especially with your specialty um can find employment relatively easily once you're established and so when you had first started kind of skipping around and and going and visiting
1: places um how long ago was cuba So I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of a strange thing in and of itself. It's a strange thing when something becomes such an important part of your passion of your like of your whole system of your life Mm -hmm. and it and it arrives late. So for me, I had never stepped foot outside of the contiguous United States until I was 35 years old. That was the year 2005. Yeah and uh and i left for my first trip outside of the states was cuba mm-hmm. and uh yeah so that was that was 2005 i was 35 years old it's a hell of a trip for a first trip i busted that cherry but good <laughs> yeah well plus back then it wasn't
0: really easy to do you know getting getting to to cuba involved generally flying someplace else, be it uh, the Virgin Islands or to Mexico, and then traveling from Mexico on a separate ticket to Cuba because we weren't allowed as Americans to travel there unless you had diplomatic permission. And um, a friend of mine who had done a great documentary on Corda, who was the photographer of the Cuban Revolution, uh, this guy named mm-hmm. um, Hector Cruz-Sandoval, he had been petitioning and got permission and was invited and was cleared by the State Department to be able to go. And I had to file some paperwork um, at a certain point because I was supposed to go and accompany and do some scanning with him for that project. Mm. And I got permission, but then I didn't have the ability, like uh, my... Work picked up, and I couldn't get the time away, and, and money was becoming yeah. an issue at the time, and, and so even though I had permission, that permission elapsed, and I was never able to go. But in you know 2005 in Cuba is, is, is still a very different Cuba than what is happening now with um, people now having permission with people being cleared to go visit. and I think that it's you caught it when it was still sort of unspoiled.:
1: Correct. Uh, and, and one of the interesting things about going to Cuba at that time, I don't know if it's still like this, is that, uh, you brought a lot of cash in your pocket. Yeah. Your, your credit cards wouldn't work if they were American based credit cards, as far as I understand it. Um, you were not able to make telephone calls that would have any kind of audio clarity to the United States. And you were not able to have money wired in an emergency. Like you had money in your pocket or you did not have money. Right. Right. And, uh, and that alone, and technically the letter, of the law is that you can't spend money as an American in Cuba. It's not that you can't go there, which is kind of an odd, <laughs> you know, w- wording of of things, but uh yeah, it was most definitely illegal. Now the truth of the matter is that people were not incarcerated uh, unless really they had broken some other rule.
2: Right. Like for
1: example, they went to Cuba and they were smuggling cigars or something like that. Most likely you weren't going to get nailed. Right. That's the real truth. That's the real truth of it.
0: Yeah. And so when you did finally decide that you were going to embark on this incredible journey and you, you started to kind of wind down, I mean, how do you do that? Because you, you, you didn't choose to have a base of operations. Like It, it wasn't like you, you said to yourself, well, I'm going to keep my place in Los Angeles and I'm going um, to use that as my home base and I'm going to travel outside. You sort of hmm. just decided, nope, I'm leaving And I'm going to, I'm going to live, I'm going to immerse myself (laughs) in this environment for a little while until I choose to leave and then I'll go and I'll do it someplace else. So when it comes to deciding to do that, how do you simplify your life? I mean, everybody, no matter how, how much money or how little money they have, they still have possessions. They still have things. And how were you able to just like simplify, simplify, simplify and get down to a point where you're like, okay, now I can get up and go.
1: Well, I've always been very different from you and other people I know in the materialistic sense, extremely different. Yeah. I've always been a minimalistic person. So it was not that big a step for me to say, how can I do this in the most uh, simplified way? And the answer to that question for me was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell everything that doesn't fit into this black Samsonite suitcase. Wow. Like,
2: How long did that take?
1: <laughs> like, Lit not long because of what I just said. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. I mean,
0: it, it, you, you're not a collector. You never had collector's mentality, which was, is a blessing. It is like the, the greatest blessing I think you can have in life is to, uh, to not, not have not. a mania for having things.
1: I just have not been like that. Now, I should say, Matt, that it's kind of strange that I do want to be like that now. Mm-hmm. Like, I really have a nesting instinct now, mm-hmm. and I'd like to have a home base. But I, my whole life, I've been, I've been minimalist. Some of it through necessity, actually, because yeah. of, like, you know, financial problems or whatever. But I just sold everything, All everything that I had fit in a black Samsonite medium-sized suitcase and a North Face Collegiate backpack. Wow.
0: And then, that
1: is one of the best things you can do to get started on the type of journey that I was going to do, which is a journey that you don't know when it's going to end. Right, <laughs>
0: right. So once you had that done, you had a, a couple of different places that I think you had selected on a map, and and then mm-hmm. you decided to choose one. And what was that first place?
1: So I was waffling between uh, Cusco, Peru, uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, and Lisbon, Portugal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was kind of shuffling between those three places. And at the last minute, I almost changed my mind and went to Kathmandu, but I consulted my very talented psychic in Encino, uh, who's Persian. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, she's like, don't, don't do it, man. Stick to the, don't do it. Go, go to, go to Cusco, Peru. That's where I see things, uh, flourishing for you. And as it turned out, she was right.
0: Yeah. And so you, you go to Cusco and, um, you had obviously researched it a little bit before you went down, and, a ton. And when you got there, how easy was it to to be able to find your way? Now you were you're you're an American. Um, I yep. I don't know how adept you were at Spanish before you went down there, but um, none none zero. Yes. So zero. you had basically a phrase book, probably that you brought with you, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And yep. and how long were you down there? <laughs>
1: I lived in Cusco for exactly one year, from July fourth, two thousand sixteen to July fourth, two thousand seventeen. Wow. Well, I should say I was I lived had an apartment lease and was based in Cusco, and uh, that was the base of operations of my trips to Bolivia and other places. Right, and of course, the uh, Peru and Bolivia share a
0: border. Mount um, Lake Titicaca is partially mm-hmm. in, in Peru and partially in Bolivia, and. Mm-hmm. What was the first thing that you wanted to do when you got down there, and how long did it take to do it?
1: I was surprised, actually, and a little bit disappointed in my behavior because I had envisioned – I had always envisioned going to Peru to film interesting things like spiritual things, people in that realm. And I spent the first two months mostly drinking.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I had felt, I, I didn't realize the strength of it, but my job of doing doing a certain type of job that I wasn't totally into for 10 years had really burned me out to the core. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I had really realized how much that had hurt me until I got to Cusco. So I basically decompressed for I mean, I'm exaggerating. I wasn't like a roving drunk or something. Right. But I, I decompressed and like saw some sights and stuff for about two months before anything happened.
0: Right. And then when something happened, what happened?
1: So then, after the two months, or maybe it was three months, uh, I then got my own place. I signed a lease in Spanish, which I didn't understand at all. Uh, my, my <laughs> You're hoping that you
0: don't have to give away a kidney at the end of the uh, the leasing term yeah. when you don't read it. Yet. Yeah,
1: I was like, "What is this smaller print?" And she's and she said in Spanish that she it's it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so my, my rent was 120 us dollars per month. It afforded an absolutely gorgeous view of the Andes mountains. I was 11,200 feet in the Andes mountains. That's 3,300 meters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a beautiful, stunning, inspiring place to, uh, plant your flag for a while. Did um, you get dizzy being at that know, altitude
0: when you first went down? You do. There?
1: Yeah. You do sometimes. Yeah. It takes. I would say there's like a, a three a two to three day adjustment period where yeah. you're like okay I'm I'm pretty much okay now I can drink a, I can drink a couple beers or a few beers yeah. and then there's a longer adjustment period to really be acclimated. By the way, uh, your red blood cell count changes like significantly. There's a lot of physiological effects of moving to Cusco for that kind of period of time might be good for you. I'm not sure. I, I'm not, exa- I'm a few credits short of my MD. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know that, um, in conversations I've
0: had with Dr. DNA, who I've had in the show a couple of times, we've talked mm-hmm. about, um, his, his research into longevity, that people who live in higher altitudes and in alpine climates tend to live much longer. And, um, by much longer, he had had contact with somebody who was, uh, 111 years old. And had never been wow. sick a day in their life, uh, and that that person wow. was in the United States, and his age is not reported because he doesn't want people seeking him out. Uh, but um, as 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 the the good doctor was doing his research, he wound up visiting many places uh, across the globe and interviewing people and, and talking to them about their diets and, and running um, some physical experiments um, on them. Not experiments, but, you know, like some tests about, you know, blood pressure and all those types of things. And, and what mm-hmm. happens, I guess, in those climates is that the your your blood oxygen uh, changes a bit over time. And yes. once you adjust to that, if you take care of yourself, you should be fine, you know. And, of course, we, we know that things like cancer and other um, – you know, life-threatening diseases and afflictions just stop when you get above a certain altitude. Huh, interesting. And that, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the highest, the highest altitude, livable uh, altitude on the planet, basically, when you're talking about, you know, Cusco, Peru.
1: Well, Cusco, Peru is um, the oldest living city in the Americas. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's also one of, as you said, one of the highest living cities in the Americas, not the highest, certainly. Yeah. Uh, but, but one of, of the highest and, uh, you gotta be, you gotta be kind of tough to live in Cusco, Peru. I'm, I'm going to be honest about the whole thing. It's, it does take a little bit of a toll, but, uh, hiking the Inca trail in, in Peru is one of the highlights of my travel career, if, if, we, could, if we could call it that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to rewind and quickly just introduce a couple of, of sentences to what you said before. You said, well, what happened after the two or three months where you got used to living in Cusco? And that was I started interviewing shaman in the jungle about ayahuasca, and also my shaman who lived in Cusco about ayahuasca. The other thing I wanted to say in terms of rolling back two questions in preparation for a trip like this, really, guys, if you guys are still uh, listening, you know, <laughs> to my my story, um, like, really settle your tax situation and make sure you have a plan in order that's not going to go awry. It's going to come back and and get you. Like, it's really like make sure that you have an accountant that's taking care of that. That you're on it. That your W twos go to someplace that makes sense because mm-hmm. it, it's a pain. It's a pain if you don't deal with it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's another thing, too, of course. Right. It's like that you you sort of even if you decide to pack up and leave, you still have this kind of lifeline of being an American. Um, and at a certain point, unless, mm-hmm. you, unless you're changing your nationality, unless you're applying for um, a different passport, then mm-hmm. you you have certain responsibilities, and that's that's it's great that you raised that point because I don't think anybody would think about that. That if you're going to be traveling around the globe for a certain amount of time, you still got to file your taxes. You're going to find yourself in in a major um, bind with the IRS upon your return, and they can you know attach wages, they can close your bank accounts, they can freeze your assets. And
1: yours. there's, there's two ways to deal with it. You can have an accountant or a friend, you know, you can have all that stuff mailed to them and mm-hmm. just, you know, c- communicate with them over Skype or whatever, and just make sure it's being handled. Mm-hmm. Obviously your taxes can be handled by someone on the other end, right? You just have to make sure your W2s are going to the right address and that someone actually is handling it. Right. The number two option is that you could go to a place like Estonia, which is becoming a tax haven for digital nomads and establish yourself there and perhaps that has some benefits over being taxed like hell in california with the added um, benefit of being uh, the
0: home of of the estonian rapper tommy cash
1: <laughs> oh oh i did not even think of that i did not even think of that
0: <laughs> so the um but yeah that that's that's good intel and, and please continue
1: but that's something that I've been hearing from a lot of digital nomads of all the places. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a yeah. lot. It's like Estonia is this brilliant, not only tax haven, but they apparently their internet infrastructure is amazing. Wow. So, so anyway, just something to to think about. It's also probably a really beautiful place to visit.
0: Yeah, another another place pretty far north. Now the um the other thing is in and this is kind of amazing too is that. You you've basically survived you don't even have telephone service. Like you you communicate almost exclusively through Skype and through Messenger.
1: That is that is true when I'm back in the states very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's actually not the case when I've been in Peru and Bali and Thailand. Uh, Predominantly, I have had cell phone service. But, you know, when I was in Peru, I had a Peruvian plan with uh, with like 10 gigabytes a month. Try that one on for size without a Peruvian girlfriend. You will. It will take you a week to get that phone. Yeah. Um, but I did have a Peruvian girlfriend. And so that phone happened in only eight hours of sitting in a chair. Um, <laughs> so I had a, I had a cell phone plan in Peru that was quite good and I had great ones in Bali and Thailand.
0: Yeah. And so after your, your, well, actually let's talk about this a little bit. So you, you had started interviewing some shamans and you had started, mm-hmm. um, exploring ayahuasca and I, I, you'd started that's when I, I started to notice you reporting on on your travels a little bit, that I hadn't seen that as much. that And a lot of times, you know, you can tell when people are out of town on Facebook because they take pictures and they put stuff up. But mm-hmm. it was while you were in Peru that you started to develop this idea of documenting all of these things and turning it into something of a, um, of a, a, well, a blog, a video blog site, a YouTube channel. And Mm -hmm. um and capturing all of these these elements to share with people and the amount of feedback that I saw that you were getting was incredible that there were a lot of people that were following you and you would have sort of open ended discussions about things and people would really contribute and the um whether it be and I remember when you first went down there you ran the first video I remember watching was warning people about the showering water and that there were so many parasites in the water and the eye infection just from your shower
1: yeah yeah. That it turns out, um, I, I feel a little bad about that one because the, the likelihood of that is 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 not is not huge. Um, that was that was a bit of an, an anomaly that that happened to me. Mm-hmm. But in terms of showering and stuff, uh, yeah, I have to apologize for that. that that's probably not going to happen to you. If you go to Peru, you can feel. Go ahead, put your head all under the shower. You'll you'll be fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but that was also. But I did. But. But I did end up getting parasites from from food, and that was a, a bitch. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, as as I did in, in Thailand, <laughs> but um and and uh, getting you know a, from a bottle, I think it was from a bottle of water. Wait,
1: which trip to Thailand? This
0: recent one. So after I saw you, I, I was completely sidelined with um with what? what with like food poisoning for two days in Phuket.
1: Oh shoot!
0: Okay. Yeah. The um and I am pretty sure there was two things that it could have been, um because I have so many shoot. allergies to seafood and that type of thing. The amount of food, mm-hmm. the types of food that I'm relegated to are are it's small. So when they were feeding mm-hmm. us on one of these kind of excursion tours going out to like the PP Islands and on um you know did a little bit of snorkeling, that uh, it was a bottle of water I think that really did it. That uh, it wasn't really uh. bottled water. I think that they were refilling you know, bottles uh, and like sealing them and the the other thing that it could have been was like fried chicken and everybody would be like, Oh of course it was the fried chicken but it I don't think it was that. I do think it was the bottled water. Uh, but that was that was a little bit miserable, especially, you know, coming so close after being kidnapped by the Russians. But um <laughs>
2: Well, as
1: a as an afterthought, as a like a last like one two punch, you might want to consider locating pills that are crushed papaya seeds and crushed garlic put together inside a pill and taking those for a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, just just now that I'm back, just in case.
1: I would do. I would do it.
0: Yeah. I also got. It's funny when we were in Bangkok, um, I didn't notice really any insects. Like it wasn't a problem, and you know we were definitely using. You know, bug spray, and and I was using you know sunscreen and stuff like that. When I went to Phuket, yeah. the the um the active life of bug spray seemed to be about forty minutes, and the active life of sunscreen tended to be about forty five minutes. That the the three hundred percent humidity and in, in incredibly oppressive heat you would just completely sweat through it, you know, within an hour. And so then I got a really gnarly burn and, uh, completely devoured by what I hope are not Zika, uh, mosquitoes. Uh, But, um, I I didn't have the best time. I did not have the best time while I was there, but (laughs) I think that if, if you had been there, if I had been able to spend like the entire trip with you and if I had gotten a chance to go up to Chiang Mai, um, before you left, um, or if my friend Jay had still been there that, you know, it's like traveling with friends is very different than traveling alone. And, one of the things why I've had so much respect in in watching you do what you do is that you have embarked on these journeys alone, and that requires um, being really familiar with who you are yourself, and knowing when to open up and knowing when to close off. And it's that's like a really I think important part of traveling, just in general. And I think that there are, you know whether or not you travel with with a, a a constant companion, you're going to find yourself alone at times in other places. And your ability to live within your own head is plays, I think, a very important role in, in your ability to really enjoy your environment.
1: That is so true. Somebody said on my Facebook once a long time ago when I first started posting things, uh, they said, man, Scott, you are living the dream. And I said, Yeah, well, I'm living my dream, but it sure as hell wouldn't be your dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because I've been traveling for two years on roughly $1,000 a month. Yeah. Now, that is something that can be accomplished in places like Peru, Bolivia, Bali, Thailand, but uh, let me tell you something. It ain't fun sometimes. Right, <laughs> it's, right. Um, it's, it's pretty harsh to include all your transportation, all your food, any weird things that happen. Like I always have my own scooter in Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, it adds, it adds up. Um, to me a proper budget if you're gonna go out every once in a while if you're gonna drink a couple beers every now and then a really proper budget is 12 to 1300 a month for those for those places I, I know I'm well aware you can do it on 600 so please nobody send me any hateful emails because I already get like a hundred of those yeah you yes. know Scott I do it on three dollars per month and it's like yeah dude but people don't really want to do it that way
0: <laughs> yeah I, I did see that's funny when you were posting about your expenses a bunch of people immediately like uh, the you know the backpacker crowd were immediately you know like oh i, I, I was able to find an apartment for six dollars a day or something you know whatever it was dude,
1: it's like you set fire to their house or something I by know. telling the truth it's like no dude i've been doing this for a little while. I actually really know what it costs. you know what the where the average falls, yeah, and it tends to be eight hundred to a thousand dollars now, for me personally, it ends up being more like twelve hundred because uh you know I like, i've been known to have a drink every now and then,
0: yeah, and for me, that would probably be thirty five hundred dollars. But um, yeah, <laughs> because I, I like a comfortable bed. I like good plumbing. You know, like the um, it, as you know, you you always find places with good plumbing too. But I mean, you know, when people are saying things like six hundred bucks, I mean it's you're hanging your butt out a window in in it's places silly. like that. Yeah, it's, it, it,
1: honestly, it's silly. Yeah, And, you know, there is one in, you know, 10,000 or one in 5,000 people who will do that and really have a good setup, but it it ain't going to be you. Right, right. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I was in Thailand. Another thing is, you know, another factor is how long are you in the place? Right. Because the longer you're in the place, well, then you can finesse deals. Right. Because my third month in living in Chiang Mai, Thailand, my rent was $120 a month. Before that, it was $400 a month. But once I figured out the ropes and I figured out what to do, I actually beat everybody on the rent, even the backpacker people who are like, oh, well, I drink my own urine, so it doesn't cost anything. I'm like, (laughs)
0: dude, you. (laughs) (laughs) So when you you went – after you left Cusco, Peru, you went to Bali?
1: So I left Cusco after one year. I was in Washington, D.C. and New York City for two months planning what I was about to do. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Bali for two months with an advanced tourist. I got an advanced visa from the embassy, from the Indonesian embassy, so I wouldn't have to go through a rigmarole in Bali, which, by the way, by the way, is kind of a pain. Yeah. If you can, get the advance, If you're going to stay two months in Bali, get the advance visa. Right. So I did two months there knowing that I was then going to do two months after that in Thailand, which turned into four months.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, before we talk about Thailand, we're going to take a, a little quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors, and which is where I remind people that if they want to reach this quality demographic, they can get in touch with me. They can send me an email at info at com, and uh, we can go over some ad rates and, and ad plans. But uh, we'll be back in about 30 or 60 seconds to talk again with Scott Whitman. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am, of course, your host Matt Kennedy and we 're talking with Scott Whitman about uh, seeking the gurus and which uh, this project that he 's been embarking on for the past couple of years where he immerses himself completely into a new environment. After staying a while in in various countries, usually uh, targeting areas that are renowned for uh, spirituality, for um you know sort of uh mystical practices, and uh, we had talked earlier in this in this podcast about his time in Peru, and uh, and the ayahuasca experience we didn't really get into, but we could of course, um and and why that that is become such an appealing thing to a lot of people who are traveling these days. But I think before we talk about the ayahuasca, why I wanted to go kind of straight into Bali and into Thailand is that there is a thread between those these these places um, beyond the fact that they're just mystical. And when you were selecting them, when you chose to go from place to place and, and when you chose to, to select... Um, Bali after, uh, regrouping a little bit in the United States for after following a year in Peru, mm-hmm. what was the, what was your decision process? And did you think that you had a kind of lineal thought like, you know, I'll do this next and after this, I'll do this other place. Or Are you waiting until you've immersed yourself completely to decide what the next
1: destination is going to be? So for me, I am an extremely intuition based person, mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very feeling based on, on what I decide to do. And what had happened is my last three months in Peru out of the year stay there, uh, Bali had come up a couple times, one with a psychic named Jennifer Pepper that I, uh, that I went to and, and another time. And when it, and when it came up, it resonated with me as something that I had to do. Initially, I was actually going to go to Chiang Mai, Thailand after, uh, Peru until the Bali thing kept coming up. And, jennifer pepper kind of said no i'm seeing something else first she turned out to be right either by talent or by uh insinuation (laughs) insinuation by design (laughs) (laughs) so that's when it came up and then when i came back to see my parents and hang out with them and spend time with them which is something i had always planned to do at the beginning of all this Mm -hmm. um that was kind of the beauty of my new life design is like is like getting to know my parents without a tragedy happening you know people's oftentimes go see their parents because something shitty happens, and right. I just didn't want that to be. Anyway, so I came back home, and I started to explore the logistical lo- nuts and bolts of what my intuition had told me to do, and that logic said yes. Check on the money box. Check on the spirituality box. Check on the beach with, uh, you know, nice-looking women box. <laughs>
0: <laughs> man, cannot, man cannot live on bread and water alone. So the... Um-
1: that, but it's the truth. It, it might be the truth. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um, so Bali, and was there a specific goal that you had in mind in in selecting Bali?
1: Yes, Bali uh, came to a lot of people's attention for the first time because of the movie Eat, Pray, Love, mm-hmm. and uh, and it became renowned in some uh, moviegoers minds as Ubud in particular in Bali as being a spiritual destination for people worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a very substantiated claim. And, uh, the spiritual aspect of healers in Bali is, is it resonates. And, uh, so anyway, that was my hypothesis based on my research, not the movie, cause I've actually never seen the
2: movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, based on my research, I was like, Oh, there are a lot of healers here. Some of whom are, You know, quite renowned. Now, you could say that for a lot of different places in the world, but but Bali is does seem to be a little, you know, higher on the list, I guess that it just does seem to resonate as one of those places like Peru does.
0: Mm -hmm. And how much time did you spend in Bali?
1: I was there for two months. I spent one month in Ubud, which is near the center of Bali. And is rega- Ubud actually means medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so the medicinal value, if you want to put it that way, or healer value of that location is pretty well esteemed. And then I spent the second month and my final month in Bali in Canggu Beach, which is close to other places where healers have now started to propagate more, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning namely um, places near the famous temple called Tanah Lot and uh, North Kuta on the south part of the island. Mm -hmm. And what did
0: you think that was the, the greatest benefit of having been there? And it seems like of, of all the places that you've been, that's one of the shorter trips, actually, at uh, and in just two <laughs> yeah. months. But uh, did you feel like yeah. you got that full experience in two months and you were you were just like, OK, now I'm ready to go do this other thing. And, and you had wanted you'd already selected Chiang Mai. Uh, but did you feel
1: like you, you got what you sought and that was it? You know, what's funny, I strangely enough for how much Bali moved me and it moved me all the way. Mm hmm. Uh, I really did feel like I was, I was okay with it by the time I left and Canggu is a boner inducing, beautiful place. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, so, and, and, I also got to follow my passion, which was to see healers and spiritual people there, but it's, you know, it's a stunning place. It's like the, the Venice beach of Southeast Asia, but even better. Right. Um. Uh, but it does have that kind of vibe, like a Venice Beach vibe mm-hmm. um, and super healthy food. But by the time I left, I had seen three healers that had a deep impact on me and I felt had improved my overall uh, vibrancy, mm-hmm. my overall sort of health. And those three people are in a video on, that we can talk about later What my YouTube channel. You can, you can find them. They're still there. Um, and I would like to go back to Bali and spend more time there. I will say that.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's the seek the gurus channel.
1: Yeah, that's I'm seek the gurus. That's my YouTube channel. So youtube.com slash seek the gurus where you can find videos from, uh, tons of ones from Peru, Bali, and, uh, Thailand. Right.
0: So now after Bali, you do make it over to Thailand and what made you pick Chiang Mai as opposed to, I don't know, well, Phuket, Pattaya, uh, Bangkok.
1: My first reason was rather prosaic, which is that I had been there before.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: and maybe I you know, so I kind of understood what the expense of being there would be, which has been a major part of my decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe hopefully it won't be as much in the future, but uh, it's a big component of why I choose places. So I knew I could afford it and I knew that Chiang Mai had all, you know, Thailand in general being a, uh, a very Buddhist, you know, I don't know, something like 92% Buddhist mm-hmm. is kind of inherently spiritual place. Right. Uh, but Chiang Mai is artsy and spiritual and healers have started to sort of either they were there all along and some of them have congregated there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and like Bali, it's it's becoming more and more known for that. And that caught my attention.
0: Right. Now in, in Chiang Mai, you're also very you're in the north of the country, and you're mm-hmm. closer to the other countries. So if you wanted to poke mm-hmm. out and get your passport stamped and come back in, you don't necessarily have to um, mess around with with a, a an extended visa. Um, Man, you that one surprised me. Yeah, yeah, it was easy, super easy. easy. Yeah, you can just go to Vietnam. You can go to Cambodia. You can. And the flights are so cheap to travel. Um, to and from the rest of of Asia from Thailand specifically that a lot mm-hmm. of people often do just you know take the jaunt out to Shanghai for for a day in order to come back and now further down uh, in this in the southern part of the country so in uh, in Phuket where I was just staying mm-hmm it you know which is an island off the main island of thailand so um and there's several other major islands down in the south as well and and you were just that one before you flew back into bangkok that um mm-hmm. in in those southern islands there's there's also you know tremendous buddhist temples uh gigantic statues dedicated to the buddha whether um standing sitting or reclining and <laughs> but phuket has become now an, an, an area of phuket called um uh, what is it? Uh, Chagola has mm-hmm. now become a major encampment for a Muay Thai boxing. So all the MMA <laughs> fighters are down there, and they've kind of built this sort of expatriate village in the middle of um, of Phuket, and it's sort of it's a cool neighborhood. It's very interesting. You can get like, you know, gluten free pizza and stuff. You know, in in this, <laughs> this weird neighborhood in um, in in Phuket. You know, not too too far from Muang, and. There are, of course, you know, luxury spas and stuff down there that are way up in the hills. But what struck me as um, the thing that I kind of went away with, and I would sort of expected that I would, you know, I, I travel a lot to Asia and ha- always have. And I have spent the majority of my time in Japan, but a little bit of time in China in um, other mm-hmm. places that um, I expected to really, really love it. And I just it had this kind of especially closer to the beaches, a sort of Tijuana type vibe where everybody was a hustler. You know, everybody was on the hustle. Um, everybody was like, you know, uh, borderline criminal, you know, like that. that everybody was looking to, to get one over. And mm-hmm. um, and then there were, you know, obviously people are getting sunstroke from being out in, in, in all that that sunlight too long and and Mm -hmm. people drinking too much that it was really not at all um, what I was looking for in an escape from the United States. You know, I was really just kind of looking forward to some meditation and some Tai Chi and and, Uh uh, getting kidnapped by Russians didn't help. But um, (laughs) the um, the vibe was was really it was it was very different. You know, I'm not used to that extreme humidity, um, which is odd because, you know, when I was in the in the film business and we would have our national convention annually in new orleans in late july and august you're talking oh. about you know the same type of 200 300 humidity and, and crazy heat but um yeah. it's just so much more of um, modern civilization whereas there it's still like um and there's certainly buildings and there's, there's really nice buildings but there's still a lot of kind of stone age um I don't want to call it lifestyle, but, um, and it's it's not really Stone Age civilization, but the environment is so untouched, or it appears to be untouched in certain places, and then you realize that there is, of course, the same types of industrial problems there that are everywhere.
1: Well, as your audience is probably aware of, you know, all the islands in a country, uh, in this case, Thailand, are, are clearly not created equal. Right. And if you take a poll of a hundred people, which I might have actually about this, uh, it wasn't a hundred, maybe it was like 30, Mm -hmm. um, you will consistently hear certain things about, about particular islands in uh, the South of Thailand. And I'll tell you what they are. The the islands that come up as people who are wanting a more, a little bit more grounded experience, they don't really want to party their asses off. Maybe they're doing meditation, yoga, stuff like that. Right. Um, the ones that come up consistently as people loving them are Copanyan which is ironic because that's the place that the you know the full moon party was actually born. Yeah. But it turns out that other parts of the island are less uh, frenetic. Right. Um, but Copanyan comes up consistently in the top three, as does Colanta, which is actually kind of gunning for number one at this point. Copanyan probably being number two. And then number three is an emerging very interesting prospect, super low key, called Kolipe. And Kolipe is on the way to now you're getting down like to Malaysia and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But it's still a you know, it's a Thai island. Now is that um, where
0: they shot the where they're supposed to be talking about in the movie The Beach, the DiCaprio film?
1: I believe the association with that movie is actually co uh, which is, you know, which, which for reasons that they, either that they filmed there or that's what it's supposed to be is not clear to me. I never researched that point. Mm-hmm. But that's the island of all the islands that comes up in association with, with the beach um, from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Now, co is not one of the more favorably looked upon islands from the people that I talk to, mm-hmm. i.e., you know, the spiritual-seeking yoga detox Crowd,
0: right, right, but um, Copanye was in your opinion the best in those-
1: is consistently Copanye in the Gulf of Thailand, not the Andaman coast where you were, right? But Copanye in the Gulf of Thailand consistently appears in the top three, despite its other reputation as being one of the big party islands of, of Thailand having the uh, the original full moon party of course all islands have full moon parties but coppenyan is the orig- is the OG as the kids say or maybe they don't say that anymore I don't know
2: yeah
1: <laughs>
0: part of part of the uh, the, the EDM crowds uh, a visa to uh, to Thailand uh, voy- voyage I guess and so I I know we had been talking um, and before I even planned my trip um, to to come to Thailand and ostensibly to, to, to visit you that um, you had been talking about wanting to go to Nepal and and setting up a trip in Nepal, and you still have, I think, a um, a plan to set up a specific kind of curated journey of of Nepal that people can can still buy into, if if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's on uh, my Facebook page, and um, and my friend, uh, I can't remember the link right now, but that that's okay. Anybody can contact me if they want to. We'll have. Some kind of contact thing later.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: my, my friend Jordana Raim is a great yoga teacher, and she is organizing this thing with me. I'm helping. I'm not the organizer. Mm-hmm. But it starts on May 4th in Nepal. It'll be like a day or two in Kathmandu. Then we'll be moving on to Pokhara, and Pokhara being sort of the seat of the start of the trail of the Annapurna Circuit. Mm-hmm. and we're going to be it's going to be like a yoga type retreat and detox thing but it's also going to be the you know there's going to be guides there's going to be people carrying your stuff so you'll just have to carry you know what your day pack or whatever it's going to be it's it's going to be pretty amazing
0: wow and so now where can people get a hold of you to to figure out um what I I guess number one, learn from your adventures and kind of follow the videos. And I recommend, you know, that, you know, go to seek the gurus, the, his YouTube channel and, um, and check out a lot of the videos that he shot because there's so much footage, there's so much material and you really do outline. Okay. This is, this is a scooter ride, you know, in Chiang Mai, you know, or, um, you know, like I say this, this is a shower in Peru. This, this is what you can expect (laughs) from a bathroom in Cusco. Um, you know, that, that, the stuff that I think people really do want to know what they're in for when they're going to be planning a major trip, I think when people start looking at the prices of travel and the, and if they're going to do the kind of and I'm probably more like me like the more bourgeois travel thing that mm-hmm. uh, things can get really expensive and when you and you said you know that one of the things that you look into when you're picking uh, places to go visit is the cost of travel and I know when I was looking at uh, Thailand versus say South America or versus Europe that even just mm-hmm. the flight tickets are cheaper there's so many flights mm-hmm. uh, the frequency of travel and then once you get to Bangkok you can easily fly out of Bangkok um, my my um uh, you you love this because we were looking at at flight prices um uh, to Phuket from Bangkok, so my mm-hmm. I had to switch my return flight and my return flight I think was twenty seven dollars. Jesus, twenty seven dollars yeah, to fly the, uh, four and a half hours.
1: Once you get to Asia, mm. then you're really kind of have it made. I'll give you an example because my one way flight from. Bali to uh, to Chiang Mai mm-hmm. was one hundred and twenty U.S. dollars. Wow. That's a flight from Bali to Bangkok to Chiang Mai yeah. for one hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah.
0: And I <laughs> so, mean, it's, and and I, you mentioned one way travel, which I think a lot of people don't even consider when they're um, putting together a, um, a travel trip is is I discovered on this trip was the way to do it. It was much smarter to buy a series of one-way flights to mm-hmm. and fro than than to do a round trip that you can just get such better pricing, and then you would hit me oh. to a couple of um, of travel sites that I didn't know about previously. Like was it was um, at Agora or something. There was, um, oh, there was well,
1: I the ones I generally recommend are not that surprising. Uh, it's Kayak and and Skyscanner. Skyscanner I I'd never heard of before, yeah. and that was great. Yeah. Skyscanner is becoming like the new kayak in terms of its—it's um, it's getting really prominent.
0: Yeah, and the difference in price between you know kayak and Travelocity and Expedia and Orbitz was, I mean, uh, incre- almost exponential. <laughs> the oh, differences wow. in prices were really, really amazing. And okay. um, I think you know, if you want more options, of course, you can go to those bigger companies. But once you're once you're outside the U.S the um your ability to find cheaper travel and, and and just um better options i think and even in hotels we were on these other sites
1: no i think if i didn't have my job to do which is to you know record cool footage and make videos that sort of tell a story of what's happening i wanted to take trains from chiang mai to the islands to to do that so i took 20 hours straight which I wouldn't recommend, yeah. uh, I took 20 hours straight of trains to the jumping off point to mm-hmm. Uh But if I would have flown, it would have been minimally more, more money. And oh. it would have been, you know, one sixth of the time. <laughs> right, right, right.
0: Well, I think I think we've reached the end of this particular podcast. Is there anything that you want to shout out any other um, any social media logs or uh, other places people can find you?
1: well i just yeah uh, if anybody ever wants to message me if you i love answering travel questions you know if you want to throw anything at me obviously my my specialty is is um is healers and mystics and that's what i look for but i also know a lot about how to do things cheaply I am at Seek the Gurus on everything. YouTube, my Facebook page is called at Seek the Gurus. My Instagram is at Seek. So if you remember at Seek the Gurus, you can contact me any any way that that pleases you. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks to to Matty. He's been my good friend for a very very long time, and it was amazing to see you in in Bangkok. I hope I'm in LA soon to uh, to hang out. Absolutely, I hope so too. If
0: not, I may have to fly out to Virginia real quick.
1: And also, I want to go to your to your gallery. Uh, um, is it called Thirty South? Yeah, Gallery thirty South. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want I really want to check that out because uh, I don't think when we first met, you know, I, I really don't think you knew how much I, I love art, but I guess you do now. Now I do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for shooting me some photos of the Sam Doyle exhibition in, in, uh, in Washington.
2: You got it buddy.
0: Cool. well, thanks for um, for being on the cast. We're gonna bring this one back into the to to the end. And uh, I want to thank everybody for checking out uh, Pod Sequentialism, and you can listen to us weekly on Blog Talk Radio, uh, on uh, iTunes, and wherever you seek your podcasts. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism on the Meltdown Podcast Network, and I'm here to talk to you today about Gallery Thirty South, which is a new fine art gallery exhibition space in pasadena california it's on wilson avenue at 30 south wilson and the exhibitions range from really interesting focused figurative narrative work to abstract expressionism uh, installation art and other very interesting things the schedule thus far has included uh, Doss house and francis pene cobain and um, upcoming is Chuck D. of Public Enemy in his very first art exhibition, but uh, also emerging talent that have high-concept pieces like Diana Georgie's show on using Instagram words that were pejorative in a new context. So we're always doing something interesting over there, and you can kind of find out about it by following at Gallery30South and by going to Gallery30South.com, and again, that's three zero rather than writing out the word Gallery30South. Tell him Matt Kennedy sent you.